it's so diehard-esque how they try to do the second half of this movie. And they look down the elevator shaft. And then he looks off to the side, and there's one of those little service ladders, you know, that, like, maintenance crew would work. Yeah. And he's like, okay, we're going to climb up that. But th- So they start climbing up. But here's the best part. When they get to the top, the elevator door up there is already open. It's already somehow pried open. And the ladder that they're climbing up on is now suddenly in front of the doorway. Yeah, like, it's... how the elevator wouldn't work if that were true. Right. So, and they just climb out. They just climb out. They climb out of the elevator shaft. Like, hey, here we are. We're on the top floor. Who the fuck opened that door for them? Like, how, that door was just opened. And the ladder was, like, right there. And you're oh like, wait God. a minute, wait a minute. I, that's not how elevators work. Right. Um, and there was a lot of that shit. <laughs> Welcome to the Silver Screen Happy Hour with the Wiegan Brothers. I'm your host, Chris Wiegan, along with my brother, Jerome, a screenwriter and graduate of Columbia College, Chicago. Each episode, we compare and contrast two movies, usually something older and something newer. We also like to pair tasty adult beverages to go along with those movies. So grab a drink and join us, or if you're driving, uh, you can be our designated driver. Before we jump in, I want to remind you that you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. You can send us your suggestions uh, for movies that you want to hear us discuss to our email at silverscreenhappyhour at gmail.com. And you can send us a voice memo on Instagram. And if you send us that voice memo, we'll see if we can incorporate that in a future episode of our podcast. Well, that being said, let's get the recording of this episode on the film reel and jump right in. So what are we drinking today, Jerome? Well, for today's podcast, I have a nice uh, Pendleton whiskey, it, not on the expensive end. I, uh, for the previous ones, I, I went for a really nice Angel's Envy that would be a good 60 bucks at a BevMo or a Wine and Spirits. But today, it's just a simple Pendleton out of your local Save Mart grocery store, or uh, I guess in Michigan, it would be... Uh, does Meyer sell alcohol? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. All right. So Meyer or... Uh, Kroger. Or Kroger, your CVS pharmacy, a good $20, $25 bottle of Pendleton. It's just a whiskey. It's not bad for... for uh, I, I like to put the whiskeys on the ends of uh, expense. And of the cheaper whiskeys, this is pretty good. So here we go. Are you ready? Yep. Did you get that? I did. did you get I any? did. I okay. did. Once again, my pores are heavy on the because rocks. I'm, because I'm trying to get you to hear <laughs> it hit the rocks. And yeah. before you know it, my glass is full. Well, I'm going to start preparing. My, I'm making a cocktail live on the on the podcast today. First time I think I've done a cocktail, uh, at least made it live. Um, so let's let's while I'm preparing this, why don't you introduce the movies that we're going to be discussing? Because I directly chose this cocktail for one of the movies <laughs> that okay. we're going to be discussing. So today's uh, show. Wait, wait! Big giant ice cube. Sorry about all the noise, but that's a big, big giant ice cube. Is that is that? Oh my god! <laughs> It sounded like you just meat cleaved somebody and you just threw the bloody instrument onto a tin floor. So anyway, 
So today's show, we're going to be discussing the 1988 film Talk Radio, yep. directed by Oliver Stone. And this year's 2022 uh, film called On the Line, starring Mel Gibson. It's uh, by a French director named uh, Ramoud uh, Boulanger. It's his first, uh, I, I had to cross out my notes. I put first American film. It's actually not even American. It was shot in Paris. <laughs> it's his first English language film. His previous endeavors are all French. Um, and uh, in this one, they're masquerading uh, Pasadena, California uh, Par as Paris fan. Or no, they're masquerading Paris as Pasadena, California. So it was shot in Paris, set in uh, the L.A. area. And talk radios uh, directed by Oliver Stone, starring uh, Eric Bogosian, who at the Bogosian, time was yeah. a rather no namer at the time. Yeah. Um, today he's you know he's known. Definitely he's, made a name for himself in this movie, though. Yeah, he he wrote he adapted the play. I'll give you a little bit of backstory on both of them. The uh, talk radio was uh, a play that he had written, so he adapted his own play to a screenplay. Um, with Oliver Stone, Oliver Stone directed, of course, but it's loosely based. Well, I don't even want to say loosely based. It's inspired by a real Denver talk radio host named Alan Berg, who uh, was like the shock jock before Howard Stern. Right. It was like a shock jock before shock jocks. And he was killed um, by a crazed you know, fan mm -hmm. uh, or I guess I wouldn't even use the word fan. He was by a crazed listener. Um, right. so they, they kind of, in, it was inspiring, uh, inspired this character who they, his name is Barry Champlain, Champlain. And he is this, uh, you know, again, uh, a Howard Stern like shock jock in a, in an era before Stern was big. Um, so at the time it's it around though, right? I mean, when did Stern be like going to go syndicated? I don't remember. I, I would have to say it was around that time, but he wasn't, I mean, he might've been on the radio, but he wasn't the Stern that we know of yet. Yeah. I, I would have to get a timeline on that, but, yeah. but that's kind of what made the film unique at the time was, you know, it's something we see all over the place now, you yeah. know, but it wasn't as big then. Also, it was during the time, I think Rush Limbaugh was coming up in prominence uh, in 88, and um, and there was another one who was the one that was uh um Imus Don Imus was you know known for uh being I don't want to say controversial but being very uh aggressive mm -hmm. on the radio mm -hmm. with his beliefs um so yeah it's uh it, it's 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 interesting to point out though that some of the names we just mentioned uh, without getting too political, were are often uh, uh, right wing loud voices, mm -hmm. and Barry almost comes off as this cynical uh, left winger, you know. And a lot of the calls that call come in are people bashing the fact that he's Jewish, right? Bashing right. the fast, you know, bashing this or bashing that. He get a, he gets a lot of Nazi hate, you know. Mm -hmm. um, so, uh, and I I think they even. Somebody even accuses him of being a liberal on the, yeah. in the movie. And I don't remember if the the movie the story is loosely based on. It's not a you know it's not a actual movie about that guy that died. Correct, uh, correct. But I don't know what that guy's politics was, and I don't know what you know if he was left wing or right wing or anything. But um, maybe I'm wondering if Oliver Stone was just trying to because of the right wing. You know, prominence of right right wing radio at the time. He was just trying to make a statement that 
He's not trying to say this is Rush Limbaugh or something like that. Right. He's just making a movie about a shock jock. You know? Well, and again, it's important to use the words inspired by, not based on. And we've right. talked about this before, right, um, in previous podcasts that, uh, you know, technically you could say Star Wars was inspired by a true story. You know what I mean? Because <laughs> inspired just means something happened in real life and it inspired right. you to write the screenplay. It could have nothing to do with the actual thing that happened. So when you say based on, you start to get a little, oh, it's about that person. But when you say inspired by, it's just it was just an idea. Yeah. Now, On the Line also has a little interesting uh, backstory that the, the uh, Boulanger, who directed the film, he adapted it from his own short film. It was a short film uh, that he had done in France, and uh, William Baldwin actually starred as the Elvis character that Mel Gibson plays. Um, Not Elvis Presley. Right. That was his name. His character's the, name was Elvis. Character's na- and we're going to get to why that's so bad, too, um, <laughs> later. There's a lot but, of things that we're going to get to that are bad about this movie, but 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 <laughs> uh, but Baldwin then stayed uh, served as an executive producer on on the line. The, the feature length one that we're going to be discussing today. Who, who so, did? Alec Baldwin? No, William Baldwin. Oh, William Baldwin. W- William Baldwin, who, who played the lead yeah, in yeah. the short film. The short film. Oh, okay. So um, he served. So I don't know if when he did the short film, maybe he had some sort of financial interest in the film mm. that when uh, Boulanger decided to flush it out and make a feature length film, maybe uh, Baldwin was like, hey, you know, I want to get in on this. So I don't know. Um, but he is listed in the credits as executive producer. Um, hey, before we go on, I'm wanna, I want to drink. So I'm going to make my cocktail, but I wanted to just set it up. So now I already let the cat out of the bag that I didn't like, or right. at least I tipped my hand anyways. I didn't like uh, On the Line with the Mel Gibson movie. And we'll get into why in a minute. So the, the drink I, I decided to go with, I was like trying to figure out what to pair with these movies. And I just went with... This drink I, I I found online and I made I, I altered the uh, ingredients a little bit. It's a cocktail. Um, it's supposed to have bourbon. Um, they they suggest Maker's Mark. I went with a low a lower shelf bourbon because it's a low shelf movie. I thought, <laughs> and you don't get lower than what you have. Uh, so I went with uh, Evan Williams bourbon. Actually, um, you could go lower. You could go lower. Yeah, but I mean, Evan, so yeah, I Evan Williams isn't horrible i mean you know it's drinkable but it, it is a lower end bourbon it's a lower end if you and, and here's a good sign so your local cvs pharmacy will have your <laughs> spirits yeah. uh on the shelves much like a bar would you know when you yeah. go into a bar and you say give me a top shelf vodka that means something on the top shelf right so that's how the bars do it and yeah. that's how cvs does it i think that's how they all do yeah, it. yeah really. that's how but, kroger does it yeah that's where right. i went so, i just popped into kroger and... so so if you go to the bottom shelf <laughs> <laughs> all the way at the bottom, you're going to find Evan Williams. Yep, that's where um, it lives. Yeah. So, so, next, so it, next to 10 High and Ancient Age and all those other ones. This is also, so the, the cocktail calls for uh, make, uh, calls for Maker's Mark, a beef eater, London dry gin, some bitters, ginger beer, and that's it. It's a very simple drink. It's called Suffering Bastard. Well, that is, <laughs> and that's the way uh, I perfect. felt when I was watching on the line. I felt like perfect. the suffering bastard. Perfect so, for today's show. I got a big ice cube. Put the bitters in there. Um, forgot my shot glass, so I'm gonna eyeball this. We'll, you know, we'll see how this goes. Well, that'll work out well. Yeah. So my plastic bottle of Evan Williams. 
With the yes, that's ooh. ooh. We'll call that a shot. And I did not. <laughs> I, I went with uh, some gin we had in the house. Um, it's actually not bad. It's a New Holland. Uh, New Holland's a brewery, but they also have a distillery in Michigan, and this is called Knickerbocker. And I just didn't feel like going and buying the other gin because I had this in the house, and I figured I'd go with this. So you don't want to go with some Barton's. Bottom shelf gin. Jeez, almost spilled it. <laughs> I heard that. Okay. All right. That's and now, what shots. do you do? Do you like spit in it or something? Like, <laughs> I might. <laughs> uh, I gotta get my. Oops. Sorry, that's loud. Oh my god. Bottle opener for the ginger beer. This is a also a I would call this a lower end Aldi brand ginger beer. Oh, there you go. It's actually not bad. Um, there are some nicer ginger beers. Do they have a Kroger brand? <laughs> I don't know. I think they might. <laughs> All right, and that's that. You hear the fizz? Go to Target and get yourself some of that Market Pantry. <laughs> you hear that? Yeah, I hear it. So it's a real ginger ale, a it's real ginger beer. Ginger beer. Let me stir it a little bit. I'm going to be a suffering bastard during this podcast. Are you going to put some bitters in there? I already had it in there. Put it in the oh, cupboard. Right. Uh, oh, boy. Oh, I am going to be suffering. <laughs> oh, okay, now we can, I can talk. I can see the pain on your face. <laughs> and I've, I, I've I like a, a Moscow mule. I like a Kentucky mule. That's where you put bourbon in ginger beer. I, I have a personal rule to never drink anything that makes somebody else hurt. Mm-hmm. And I can see well, it on your face. I'm going to blame Mel Gibson and the guy that directed this movie. So, Boulanger. Uh, All right. So all let's right. start with On the Line yeah. so we can get it over get with. Get it over with. <laughs> <laughs> First of all, I want to give a shout out to my son and daughter-in-law, Josh and Elise. They watched this movie with me. They suffered through this movie with me. Um, uh, it was funny. <laughs> Because I, oh, I told them, yeah, I told them, I actually showed them the trailer and Josh was like, oh yeah, I'll watch that. So we watched it. It was funny because during the movie and we'll get into, I'll, I'll you know, we'll get into some of this, but during the movie, my brother, my, my brother, my, uh, my son is like, he's, he's calling out stuff. He's like, that, that don't, it sounds I don't know. The dialogue sucks, and yeah, and it's, like, um, and he's like, in the and some of the the props and stuff looked fake, and we found out they were. <laughs> yeah, well, there was oh, a couple other little criticisms, like uh, like they're walking around with these headsets on, and sometimes they're holding the mic in front of their mouth, so like they won't be heard by the bad guys, right? Or by the bad guy. And then there's other times where he actually flips the switch on his belt to turn it on and off. And it's like, so which is it? Are you covering up the mic? Are you turning it off? Um, and other times they're talking right in front of the mic without switching anything. <laughs> and they're talking about how they're going to get the bad guy. Like what? So he yeah. can hear you, right? Basically. So yeah. I'm going to pull um, up some notes too while you're talking. Okay, so just to give it a rundown for anyone who hasn't seen it, oh, we usually do that at the beginning where we tell you to pause the podcast and watch the trailers. Also, uh, um, there's going to be spoilers on this one. I can't believe well, we, we did. Well, I, actually, I thought of a way where I don't have to mention okay. All right. too much about the ending. Okay. Um, somewhat. Somewhere. All right, I'll, I'll go um, with that because I've already. I'm going to get my point across. That I thought it was crap, but 
<laughs> yeah. So um, let me just start off by saying both of these films, again, let's just give a little context here. Talk radio and on the line are about uh, a central character who's a talk show host, basically a shock jock, right? Mm-hmm. Um, both films start with sort of this depiction of society, right? This dark, seedy, this is usually a midnight to dawn kind of radio show for both of these guys. Um, again, they're shock jocks, but it's like the late night people. So you get right. the seediest environment with the weirdest callers and the drugs and the sex and the the wackos and the, the people that, you know, are just... Uh, just hate life and you know it's it's so they both set that up both films start almost the exact same with it's nighttime and it's a grittiness and there's a lot of uh not narration but like the voiceover of calls of people just like spewing all their hatred of life and stuff on the radio yeah. and, and and on the line i'm gonna say that the first act of on the line was promising um, it start the first act is is I don't want to say it's written well. It seems like it's written well because the rest of the movie is written terribly, but it's <laughs> written it's written decently okay. as far as it follows certain rules. Yeah, it sets it sets up. You know the they show the main guy at home and then they show him at work and they set up the supporting characters and all that seems to be normal. He, they even have somewhat of a theme stated where his boss he sees his boss is here and he goes to talk to her and she starts talking about you know you really need to relax you need to pull back you know you you you're too aggressive you're too pushy. And it kind of sets up this theme, sort of like what we've always talked about, the emotional tug of war, the the will he, won't he, you know, will he, you know, calm down or will he continue to be like screaming into the radio and blah, blah, blah. Right. And it starts off, first of all, let me just say, I really did enjoy the very first shot of the film. Um, the first shot of the film is from the back of a character who appears to be in a stool, on a stool. Oh, yeah, yeah. And as the camera gets closer, it looks like this person is tied up and being tortured. Right. Which sets the tone. You already know this film is is about, if you've seen the trailer, you're like, you know that somebody does something bad. Right. So is this one of those flash forwards, right? Is this like how we see Mel at the end of the movie? And then the whole movie is leading up to that. Right. And, but, but then the camera gets in front of him and you realize he's just at home holding his daughter. Right. So you're like, <laughs> it's like a, Oh, you know, like, Oh, uh, but, but I liked the way it was shot and it sets up that tone of foreshadowing. So well, I, it also foreshadows that you're going to be disappointed. I think. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> cause, cause when, when you realize it's just his kid, you're like, Oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Disappointing. Here I thought he was being tortured. Right. Instead, he's just reading a book to his kid. Who cares about that? So, um, but yeah, so it's, it's, but I thought with that shot yeah. and then it led into the beginning, I thought, okay, I'm, yeah. I'm on board with this so far. And we have always talked about the push and pull, the emotional tug of war. Yeah, and for him. He, so let me jump in really quick. Cause for him, I made a note, um, because I'm now I'm looking for it. Now that I've been talking to you about this for so long, in the first ten minutes, I'm looking for what's the question that's going to be answered. What's the what? You know, what's the tug of war? And so um, he said in the first ten minutes, or no, it's said. I forget who said it. Um, someone said I can't remember if someone if it was his producer. Someone said it to him uh, about pushing the envelope. Uh, yeah, is he going to stop pushing the envelope? 
His boss. Yeah, his, his boss bo- said his, that. His, yeah. Yeah. So, and that's the question. Okay. I, right away I knew, okay, he's either going to stop pushing the envelope or he's not. That's the right. uh, tug of war. And it starts off following that premise. There's a scene where he, where they show him kind of laid back and he's just having a conversation with the callers. And then they cut to where, you know, he's, he's being edgy with the callers. You know, it's going back and forth. So I started thinking this is going to be like that push and pull that we talked about. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, some scenes he's laid back, some scenes he's pushing the envelope. Okay, I'm on board. Let's do this. And then it just stops, yeah. okay? At the turning point, the first turning point, of course, they get the call from Gary, who is the bad guy. And it's the 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 idea that the threat is real, right? He calls earlier, but they dismiss him. He calls at the first turning point, which catapults everybody into the second act of the film, whereas he has his family hostage, right? He's... Uh, disgruntled about a past uh, injustice mm-hmm. that he blames Mel Gibson for. His character's name is Elvis. Um, that he blames Elvis for. And we're now in the second act. And then the push and pull, emotional tug of war, at least in my opinion, stops. Yeah. It just, it just stops. And thus, with it, the rest of good writing just stopped. <laughs> um, <laughs> we, but with, what I thought was funny about that is they actually seem to poke fun at themselves saying yeah. this would make a horrible B movie. Right. Or something yeah. like that. It was well, like it is. It, it is. It is. <laughs> but I couldn't and... believe they actually put it in there. I wonder if they went into post production and said, man, this thing's a stinker. Let's throw this yeah. line in here. <laughs> yeah. And then so so since we often on this on this podcast discuss uh structure, right? Script structure, um we you the idea is that you you get all the way to the midpoint scene, which is your false victory, right? Which mm-hmm. is what the character gets what he thinks he wants, right? Well, none of that shit happens here, okay? So what the best I can ascertain, the best I can assume is the midpoint scene, um, not really much changes except for he finds out that his family is in the building yeah. and the building is armed. Yeah. That comes around, it's eight or ten minutes off of the midpoint. Yeah. So instead midpoint of trying midpoint. to get to his family out at, at their house, oh, they're not there. They're here. Yeah, they're here. Which yeah. which I guess is good in a way, I guess. Because <laughs> you think, well, if, if we're all going to go, we're going to go together. <laughs> I no longer have to try to get out of the building to find my family. I can just do it all here. And then from then on, it sets up sort of like a diehard setting, right? It's this cat and mouse. We need to find Gary. He's here with my family. <laughs> and we have to set up this sort of uh, um, seek seek out the bad guy thing. Um the second part of the second act, which is, you know, past the midpoint scene, is a lot more just garbage. There's um, – you don't – I don't get a sense at all, and it makes sense when you get to the end and you and you realize, you know, the movie as a whole, you, you get to the big reveal. You realize why this is. But it's terribly non – how can I put it? Not emotional almost for Mel's character, Elvis. Uh, his family is kidnapped and <laughs> and threatening death. And he is being threatened with death because the building he's in is secured with bombs all over the place. And the whole movie, he's just like, <laughs> well, I guess we got to find this Gary guy. And what do you say we check over here? Nope. Nothing behind that door. You know, and it's like the whole second half is like that. And it's just, it's, 
painful to watch. It is. And they and they even find these supposed dead bodies everywhere. Right. Right? And and they're like, oh, he's dead. Shoot. <laughs> All right. <laughs> let's let's go find something else now. And and oh, they shit. Right. one of my coworkers that I've been working yeah. with. What for about, this the guy that I've known for twenty years is dead. <laughs> let's keep and, moving. <laughs> And wait a minute, I see they watching us now on the cameras. We need to avoid the cameras, which leads. Okay, so I have, I don't even know where to go from here. So we get to the second turning point, which is the jump to act three, right? Now, what do we always call that? The all is lost scene, where generally the character discovers something that makes them feel they are out of it. There's no way they're going to win this. They're done. They're out. And then yet somehow they're able to discover something that'll catapult them into the third act where they can win, where they can resolve everything. Um, I have to say <laughs> that um, as much as I think the 1994 Keanu Reeves movie Speed is not a great film, it even gets this part right that this movie gets wrong yeah. badly. Yeah. Like even that film has a little bit of a It was a push fun, That was a fun movie. Though. It's a fun film, but it's written a hell of a lot better when it comes to <laughs> Keanu Reeves's character. Which if you know the dialogue from that film, it did it's suck. It's terrible. It's a it's it's a terrible dialogue. They're going to put a crater in the world. Yeah, like <laughs> there's enough C4 I mean, to put a crater in the world or something yeah, like that. Yeah, like he's just <laughs> He's, I mean, and, and, the, oh God, I don't know. We're, we'll do, anyway. do speed on another day, but, but there, <laughs> at least in that film, there are moments of despair followed by moments of, I can win this, right? Yeah. Like there's a push and pull with Keanu's character and they're all as lost as written. It's perfect. It's yeah. Jeff Daniels, his partner dies. Way to out, outsmart the bad guy, right? Yeah. Right. And at that out. moment, at that moment of despair where he says, we're all going to die. Mm-hmm. That's when he looks down and he sees the wildcat symbol on her sweatshirt. And then he realizes they're being watched. That leads to realizing how he can see everything. And it leads to act three and blah, 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 blah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. At least they get that part right. Yeah. On the line does none of that shit. Like they don't do, <laughs> there is no, I mean, I guess the best moment of despair that Mel's character has near the end, the second, the all is lost is where they're on the staircase and he just sits down and on the stairs and is like, well, they can see us wherever we go. <laughs> and, then, so and then he's like, how about we use the elevator shaft? Now, here's here's the worst part about that idea. So they pry open the elevator doors, right? Yeah. And they look down the elevator shaft. Again, it's so diehard-esque how they try to do the second half of this movie. And they look down the elevator shaft. And then he looks off to the side, and there's one of those little service ladders, you know, that, like, maintenance crew would work. Yeah. And he's like, okay, we're going to climb up that. But the, So they start climbing up. But here's the best part. When they get to the top, the elevator door up there is already open. <laughs> it's already somehow pried open. And the ladder that they're climbing up on is now suddenly in front of the doorway. Yeah, like, how the elevator wouldn't work if that were true. Right. So, and they just climb out. They just climb out. They climb out of the elevator shaft. Like, hey, here we are. We're on the top floor. Who the fuck opened that door for them? Like, how, that door was just opened. 
<laughs> the ladder was right. like right there, and you're like, "Wait a minute, wait a minute! I, that's not how elevators work." Right. Um, and there was a lot of that shit again with the radio headset. There was a lot of moments where you're just like, "What? Like well, that doesn't even make sense." And they don't even bother to explain it. Right. Yeah. They're just like, "Well, they're on the top floor now." There's some other things that like no, no, people that aren't like former military or police officers they wouldn't catch. My son just got out of the army, and he's looking at stuff, going, "That ain't right." Oh, that ain't right. And it was, I don't, <laughs> some of it I don't even want to get into because it would give away a spoiler. But um, it was just funny because I was like, and, and then when the big reveal happened, he, my son threw up his hands and said, oh, that's why it didn't look right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so as if the big reveal should then forgive all the sins no. of the movie. Now, right. here, now, so, okay. So here we get to where they, um, you know, they become face to face with Gary at the end, right? They get face to face with the bad guy and they're, and they're now in act three, right? That's got them into act three. They figured out how to find him and they find him. So they're in act three now and act three, um, there's more crazy shit going on with like, a um, drawing straws and a SWAT cop gets killed. And like, so there's more shit happening until it leads up to the big reveal. And there's almost no leading up to the reveal. It just sort of happens. Yeah. Like it just sort of like, <laughs> all right, we're going to show the audience now <laughs> reveal. And, and when it happens, yeah, you, th- you just, I saw you on video where you throw your arms up. You're imitating Josh. Yeah. That's what I did from my couch. <laughs> I threw my arms up and said, fuck this movie. Like, this, like I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. Now, now let me tell you something about twist endings, folks. Okay. In, in the business, they call them O. Henry endings, right? Like, it's just sort of like. Uh, a cheap way to end a film. Now, before anyone listening says, well, wait a minute. I love The Sixth Sense. I love The Usual Suspects. Yeah. Here's the difference. Here's you the wake difference. up and it was all a dream or something. Right. <laughs> but, but here's the difference. Those films worked without the twist ending. You could cut yeah, the, big, actually, the reveal right. ending off of both The Sixth Sense and The Usual Suspects, and they both work as great films. Yep. The storyline is complete. By the time they get to the reveal, the story's already done. Yeah. The they reveal was a bonus for you to walk right. out of the it's theater. A, it's exactly what yeah. it is. That's yeah. exactly what it is. It's a bonus. It isn't necessary. Where Shyamalan has failed is he he does this with every film he does, and they're not usually as good as The Sixth Sense, right? And he's even said, not no disrespect, he's even said in interviews that he comes up with the twist first and then writes the movie backwards, which is the worst way to do it, which is why you have had some stinkers. Right. This is why he's had The Village and The Happening and, you know, any other shit movie he's done where you're like, God, this movie is awful. And that's, that's why, because it needs the reveal to make sense. Mm-hmm. On the line needed its big reveal to have any sort of sense or coherence to it, and that's why it fails. And then on top of it, they give you two reveals. Yeah. But the second reveal <laughs> is so fucking obvious because the first reveal was so bad, you're like, oh, I already know where they're going with the second reveal. It's not even gonna be it's not even gonna be a, a twist. And then it happens and you're like, oh, am I supposed to be shocked? Like I didn't see that coming I was actually, already. Well, I don't even know if I want to say because if I say it, well, don't ruin it because yeah. I think I well, want I wanna, people listening. I, I thought there was going to be a different reveal that was going to result in an ending similar to talk radio. 
Right. So it would be almost a better reveal that would save the <laughs> shitty reveal. Yeah. But I knew that wasn't going to yeah, happen. If they would have waxed Mel Gibson at the end of the movie, I would have been like, awesome. Now I can get behind yeah. this movie. So spoiler alert, <laughs> Mel Gibson doesn't die. So I guess we'll tell you that much. Um, but but we can't tell you what the reveals are. We actually want you to watch this piece of shit and enjoy because we don't want to rob you of the feeling we had. Look, listen, if you're a screenwriter, an aspiring screenwriter and want to know how not to write a movie, watch this. <laughs> now, and actually, all jokes aside, it's important you say that. Because we talk about that all the time about, you know, we, we try to give tips on writing, yeah. uh, screenwriting structure, first act, second act, midpoint scene, all this stuff, the theme. And it occurred to me after I was done watching this film that this was the perfect film to talk about because we've never had a stinker. We've always talked about great films, right? Yeah, yeah. Almost every film we've done a podcast on has been nominated for Best Picture or up for a shitload of awards. Just a well-written film, and that's why we picked them, right? Because we use them yeah. as good examples of good writing. Mm-hmm. Um, we didn't know anything about this film going in. Yep. So it was good that we did this so that we can see, well, not all films are great. Mm-hmm. And and this is an example of possibly not very good filmmaking. Right. Certainly not good writing. And there there's a disappointment all the way around, right? If they had cast William Baldwin to be in this feature-length film like he was in the short, maybe my expectations wouldn't have been as high. Um, nothing against William Baldwin, but I haven't. Yeah, he has. He he's not the marquee that he used to be in the early '90s, right? Yeah. yeah. So, um, but but with Mel, you're thinking, shoot, we got Mel Gibson. Yeah, Mel Gibson ex- exactly. Mel Gibson wouldn't make a crap movie, right? Like he he had yeah. to have read. The I've script been a, first. I've been a, a a fan of many Mel Gibson movies, in spite of some of his personal foibles. I've been he's a, still a great a huge, filmmaker. Huge, yeah, huge fan of many of his movies. So I was I had higher expectations. Yes, yes, as did I. Um, and so, but when you see, like, when I, my point was that, you know, I don't know the, the writer-director. Uh, I was unaware of him yeah. pr- prior to seeing this film. I did a little little background. He hasn't directed much. Um, and so you kind of get the idea, okay, maybe this was his first shot at, you know, expanding one of his own short films or whatever. Right. Um, but it just it just wasn't very well acted by a lot of the people. Like I said, the writing was promising at the beginning and then just sort of fell apart. And yeah. I mean Even when I you mean, got a great actor like Mel Gibson, you give him some bad dialogue. I mean I mean, Star Wars dealt with a lot of that. You had some great actors yeah. that just were dealt some really crappy dialogue. Right, so, right. Anyway. And we talked about this with uh I'm sure on a previous podcast, I know we talked about this, where <laughs> the ending of Gladiator, right? Where he's uh, after uh, uh, Maximus is dealt the fatal blow and he's laying there dying. And uh, the Empress comes up and she gives really some really terrible lines are given there about he says something like Lucius is safe. And she's all go to them, you know, like go to his family. You yeah. know, it's just this really awkward sort of weird death scene. And on the director's commentary, 
with Ridley Scott, he actually at that moment says, and the actors really do a lot here with not much to work with. Like he's even <laughs> he's even admitting that those lines were shit. And it was it took what should have been an emotional death scene was really kind of taken out of it. I um, no, with, I st- I still say it worked. I mean, I love that movie, and I thought the ending was great. But I I appreciate you know what you're saying about the dialogue, but right, you know, but. But my point is, good actors mm-hmm. can sometimes do a lot with shitty dialogue. Yeah. And I almost get the sense that this film, because it's French, that the <laughs> director wrote it in French. Lost and in then translation. somebody <laughs> translated it, and none of it worked. Like, I completely, right. completely oh. lost in translation. Oh. Um, they even give high points here. Or low points, however you want to look at it. They even give an Elvis left the building moment. (laughs) And at that moment, I was like, oh, my God, Uh, that is terrible. Yeah. Because that at that point they're meaning it like for real, like they're saying it like seriously. Yeah. But it's like a but, joke. Yeah, it's a... <laughs> And you're like, "Oh my god, that was yeah. You don't make was... jokes when the buildings, you know, wired and all this crap and whatever. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um so uh so disappointing for on the line. So um, can we move That's, on or are we Yes, <laughs> yeah, no, we're we're gonna move off the line and we're gonna go right into talk radio, which was the nineteen eighty eight Oliver Stone film. Yes. Much better. Yeah. Uh if you haven't seen it, please indulge yourself. Um I gotta say, better. it's it's worth watching it just for the lead, uh Eric. Well, how do you say his last name? Bogosian. Bogosian. Just to see his performance, because he there's that one scene towards the end where he's on the air and he does his dialogue and it's just, it's, it's such a gripping uh, performance. Just the way he's delivering the dialogue and his eyes kind of go crazy. And it's like, Oh my God. So it's, it's worth it just for his performance, but also the directing. And I'm sure you're going to talk about all this stuff, but oh yeah, uh, the camera direct, like the cinematography, in that scene specifically, I thought was brilliant. And they did it a couple of different times in that movie where the camera kind of spins around the character. Or it, well, it looks so, like he, anyway, go ahead. Yeah. So, so here's, here's, well, here's what I was going to say about that. So if, if we're going to skip right over screenwriting for a minute and yeah. talk about direction. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yes. There are several times throughout the film where Stone is sort of moving the camera around uh, Barry, Barry's character as he's on the radio. Right. And it's often uh, to show, you know, uh, the people around him. But it's also sort of like we are in his world here. We are centered around him. He is the center of our world sort of thing. What's Um, really weird about that, though, is it's, it's the camera isn't actually going around him. No, no, no. Him Ear and earlier. the camera are like no, 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 spinning, no, no, no. Right? Uh, earlier, earlier in the film, I'm talking about. Like oh, yeah, several yeah. times yeah, yeah. earlier in the You're film, right. that okay. that's what's going on. In this final dialogue, this this monologue, actually, yeah. um, that he has where he's just going off on his microphone. It's his complete meltdown scene. Um, Stone flips it to where the camera yeah. is on him alone. Yeah. Stationary. Yeah. And everybody else in the background is spinning spinning around. around. Yeah. They're the ones that are spinning around. Awesome. I love that. Yeah. And it's a great, great moment. And it's one of those things that directors do to sort of, um, you might not notice it, like you're focused on the actor, but the director is doing something with the camera 
to get you subconsciously to think something is off, right? Yeah. Uh, Scorsese, of course, is a master of this. Everyone knows the the easy one for Scorsese. Everyone always talks about is in Goodfellas, the diner scene, where De Niro and Ray Liotta are having coffee together in the diner, and he's he's uh, he's zooming in, but the background is rack focusing out or zooming out. Yeah. So and it's yeah. done at the same time. Yeah. And, that's and a, it's that's awesome. really cool shot, but. Um, you know, to the average person, you're watching two people have breakfast together, but subconsciously you're like, something's off here. Something is askew and I can't put my finger on it. And, and I, again, Scorsese is the master at doing shit like that, but Stone can do it too. And he does it in this scene where if you're, when you're watching that thing, you're so pulled in to Eric Bogosian's performance yeah. and that final rant that you don't realize that your brain is like, wait a minute, something is off. Well, like it, it's own- in reality, that doesn't work. Like that can't happen, right? Yeah. I mean, right. if you're walking around him, he's gonna your 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 perception, uh, uh your view of him is gonna change. Not the yeah. the the background. The background right. look. I mean, it really looked like the background was rotating around him, revolving around yeah. him, and it was. Yeah. But it was. But you're right. It just. It's almost it becomes you're, because you're so focused on him and the dialogue, it almost becomes a, a subconscious thing because you're not really focused on what's happening behind him. Right. But but, right. but because it's moving, you notice it. But yeah, you're still I, like zeroed in on him and his dialogue. It was brilliant. Yeah. And um, so if we go back to the writing, um, there's major differences between the two main characters. Uh uh, Elvis from On the Line and Barry from Talk Radio. Barry is way more um, self-destructive, almost yeah. suicidal in a sense, where he's just really disgusted with society. Yeah. And and you get the sense as the film goes on, the society is getting just as disgusted with him. Yeah. Um, and, y- you know, y- you think about the basketball scene, you know, like if Howard Stern went and spoke at a basketball game at halftime, everybody would cheer. Yeah, right. right? They would love him. This guy goes and says hi to the crowd and they fucking start throwing shit at him. And like, like it's yeah. so if Rush Limbaugh painful. did that, only half the audience would throw shit at him. Right. Like, <laughs> exactly. And that and that's a funny point that even if Rush Limbaugh is as yeah. polarizing as he was, if he went to a basketball game and spoke, yeah. you're right. Half the crowd would be cheering. Yeah, the other absolutely. half would be booing. But he at least is going at 50 percent. Yeah. Right. Like like Barry can't get two fucking people in that arena that like him. Like. So anyway, so yeah. uh, so he's much worse off as far as now. And the theme is now the theme is very, very similar about um, is he going to change? Right. That's the yeah. whole point of any main character in any film is, yeah, is he going to change on that, too. And the setup is basically because they're about to go nationwide. And his fear is every time I've been offered to go nationwide, because at this time he's just local. But every time I've been offered to go nationwide, they want me to change my act. Yeah, the and question. And I actually change. put a quote in here. That's the question. Um, he actually says it. Now you've said in previous podcasts that usually it's not the lead that poses the question, right? But in this case, he said, "I've been asked in the past if I if if I could ever soften my touch." So he's quoting someone who said something to him, um, right? So. That's and the, what does he say right after that? He says, "Take it or leave it." Take it or leave so it. So that yeah. and, and that, I wrote and that's that in down the beginning in my notes. of the movie, and that's in the yeah. very beginning of the movie. Yep. yep. And I wrote that down in my notes as sort of like, is he going to 
take it or leave it? Is yeah. this going to be the push and pull? Is he going to try to change? Uh, because it seems like throughout the film, he also goes back and forth on whether or not he even wants to go nationwide. Right. Right. I want it. I don't want it. I want it. I don't want it. And everybody around him keeps feeding him with their ideas. Let's do it because Stu says, hey, man, it's where the money is, right? Uh, of course, Alec Baldwin plays. Uh, um, well, we have an all Baldwin show today. I know, right? <clears throat> so Alec Baldwin plays like his producer. And and he wants this, obviously, because it's a big move for him, too. Yeah, he's sort of the executive producer because he had a female uh, that was his producer. As yeah. Well, right. Yeah. 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 <clears throat> um, um, and they, they both have sort of that female, uh, which both films hint at a relationship between the radio host right. and his female producer. Yeah. Um, that there's something going on there. Um, but anyway, yeah. So so Baldwin, of course, wants it. But the the funny part is that. Um, so we get to, so the midpoint scene, you get to the midpoint scene of this film and he's, the weekend is over. The basketball game, thankfully is over. He gets back to work. The flashbacks are over too, which it, they use the first part of act two to discuss, uh, kind of where he came from. There's about three or four flashback scenes of how Barry used to be before he became who he is. Um, they, and so when he comes back to reality, um, He's at. We're at the midpoint scene, and he gets to work Monday night. It's the first night supposed to be nationwide, mm-hmm. and he gets told it's being delayed. Yeah, right. That's, we're not yeah, going to go nationwide. Yeah, that's exactly the halfway point. And, and it's really sort of like he's almost pissed off. Yeah. And you're like, wait a minute! All the film, the entire first half of this film, all the way up to this moment, you're not even sure you even wanted it, and now you're pissed off that it's getting delayed. Right. And it sort of sends him into the second half of the film where he starts to melt down even more and almost like subconsciously saying, if they wanted to delay whether or not they want to give me the show based on what they've seen so far, I'm going to catapult or rather, sorry, reverse that. I'm going to torpedo any chance that they'll want me because I'm going to give them absolute anger and disgust because I'm fed up with all this shit. Contempt. Yeah. Contempt. And he starts to just go off. And what happens? (laughs) They seal the deal. The guy says, we love you. We're going to go nationwide. Yeah. Yeah. You're going to see a lot of me. Yeah. (laughs) You're going to see a lot of me now. We're going to have this. Uh, But I mean, a lot of shit starts to happen in that second half where he's really sort of uh, sinking into this abyss of madness. He brings a guest right. on. He's never done that before. He brings in this crazy <laughs> drug addict, <laughs> wacko guy. That was who funny. Reminded me of a... Sh- shout out to Megadeth. <laughs> I, and I was going to tell you, it reminded me of some friends that you grew up with. I, I don't want to yeah. name any names. Yeah. But it was but... funny because it was 88, 1988, and there was like that... that uh, burnout or that he was like uh he was on something he was on drugs yeah. but he there's a scene where he starts like beating on the desk and starts singing peace cells from megadeth and that yeah. was like oh yeah i love that part because i was a you know megadeth yeah. fan that and, was you uh, uh back <laughs> well, then i wasn't that crazy and gone <laughs> but yeah but so a lot of crazy shit goes on so there's that there's the um where he gets another disturbing phone call about rape. Yeah. And then there's, uh, I mean, it really starts to fall apart in the second half. Um, and then, uh, he, you know, and then he finds out he's going to get the show. Now, here's the interesting part. We always talk about the midpoint scene is usually a false victory. Something good happens. 
And then the all is lost is the opposite of that. Something was, bad yeah. happens. This was, it was it, flipped. It flipped it, yeah. It was flipped this time. He got the bad news at the midpoint scene. Yeah. We're, we're being delayed, which means we might not pick you up at all. But they're having second thoughts. But then by the time he gets to the, the, the turning point, the last turning point, which is going to resolve the film, uh, he finds out he's going to get the show. And, yep. and, and, but, be, yeah, before that is when he has his absolute meltdown. Yeah. Um, that we just talked about. And yeah, it's for that scene. There's several interesting scenes in the film, but that's the one that sells it. Like if once you get to that point and you see him deliver this, um, it might be one of I, when I say one of the greats. I always think that there's like five to ten great monologues in the history of film. Yeah. And I don't think anybody would ever think Eric Bogosian of talk radio would be one of them. But it really is the high point of the film. It just, to me, they haven't seen it yet if they don't think that. Because it was right. fantastic. It, was... it is fa- It is fantastic. And and there's so many times his push and pull, he looked like he wants to start crying at one point. Yeah. And then he changes it to rage. Right. And then he comes back down again and gets sad again. And then it goes into rage again. And it's just a constant cycle of emotion coming out of him. Yeah. Uh, while Oliver Stone's doing the camera trick. And it's just <laughs> so awesome. It um, yeah. Incidentally, incidentally, just because I watched it recently, what do you think I would say is number one, one of the greatest monologues in film history would be? Now, remember, monologue. So it's one person giving a speech. One person giving a speech in film history, what would you put number one? Now, you're inevitably going to say something that I'm going to be like, oh, shit. Yeah, that one probably is up there, too. But uh, what do you think? Uh, I'm, well, immediately, because it's you, I go to uh, your favorite movie. Which one? Which one? What's your favorite movie? Well, I have several favorite movies. Uh, Silence of the Lambs. Well, that's that's the movie that inspired me to be a writer. <laughs> okay. My favorite movie is probably Star Wars. But anyway, uh, but what monologue in there would well, you I, say? Well, I, I can't remember. A- You've seen it way more times than I have. So, but I, I just I know that uh, Anthony Hopkins had some. Uh, I, but I would say those are more dialogue scenes because yeah. it's his it's his it's his reactions with Clarice that I love so much in that film. I was so, going to go with. Uh, Quint's Indianapolis speech in Jaws. Oh, yeah. Right? That's yeah. probably one of the greatest. And I just watched it recently, and it made me think about that. Like, <laughs> because we just, I just, you know, I'd watched talk radio for this podcast, and I remember thinking, man, now that's got to be the greatest monologue in film history. Yeah. And where would Bogosian and talk radio fall on that list somewhere? It's got to be. But Quint's Indianapolis speech has got that's, to be yeah, the number one. I right? love it. Yeah. Because there's no dialogue. Nobody else says a damn word in that, in that scene. Well, they're yeah. both just staring agape, like yeah. How could you interrupt? Terrified. Them? They're yeah. like terrified at the story that he's telling. Yeah, and he tells the story, and it's so perfect. And um, <laughs> I saw it on a T-shirt once. Somebody had it on a T-shirt. It was awesome. Yeah, the whole speech. Yeah. Um. Um. But yeah. So this, so was, let me pause right here. This would be a great. Uh, I love. We want to hear your feedback. What's your What's one of your favorite dialogue scenes from a movie? That's we're gonna throw that out there. Monologue. Mon- monologue. I'm sorry. Monologue scenes. Yeah. What, what's 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 your favorite monologue in film history? Yeah. And and again, just to clarify, it, it's not give. It's not. Uh, I'm gonna think uh, about this now. I'm probably gonna come up with a great answer like at three in the morning. 
Well, and you know, and, and there's and there's ones that are great that I wouldn't say are considered dramatically great. Like I also thought of Austin Powers, where, where Doctor Evil's got that great monologue where he talks about his past. Yeah. You know, I was put in a burlap sack and beaten. Quite common for the day. You know, like like. It says something about uh, there's no feeling like a freshly scorned scrote throat or whatever. <laughs> like, like that. That's a funny monologue too. It's he's. I believe it's where he's uh, in the father son meeting and they ask him to talk about himself and he stands up and he gives this monologue yeah. and it's hilarious. So it nece- it doesn't necessarily have to be a dramatic one. But if anyone wants to tell us what their favorite monologue is, yeah, I want to hear it with, uh, in film history. Uh, we'd love to hear we'll it. A give you a other, shout out. A couple other points of trivia here. Um, you all know, uh, Earl Hinman, who, uh, plays, who spent eight years on the show Home Improvement, played the next door neighbor, Wilson. You only only, saw his nose up. Yeah. You only saw his nose and his eyes above the fence. (laughs) He actually played three callers. He did the voice of three different callers in talk radio. Really? And one of them was Chet in the beginning of the film that really is calling him, you know, the Jew stuff. And, oh, wow. Uh, you really think he's the one that's going to do evil deeds at the end. He's not. It's a completely different actor. But he's one of the callers. Chet, the caller Chet, which was that. very aggressive. And then the guy that plays Kent, <laughs> who's the whacked out, drugged out guest that yeah. he has with the Megadeth fan, that's Michael Wincott. And you've seen him before. He's been in several movies. He's also been in some other Oliver Stone movies. You might most notably know him as the sheriff of Nottingham's cousin in Robin Hood, the the Kevin oh. Costner one. Wow. So yeah. So um. So yeah. So he's. Yeah. But he also played two other voices as well. He played Kent, and he did two call-in voices okay. on that uh, in that movie. Yeah. So um, a couple you know interesting things there about. Uh, yeah. I love I love looking for um. You know, foreshadowing and stuff. And I sent you a, f- a photo that I took of the of the television when I was watching it. Um, first five minutes of the movie, and you already—it's not, I guess, a spoiler since this came out in 1988, and we already said it was based on a, a guy who was killed. Uh, yeah. He dies at the end of the of talk radio. The the host, um, but there in the first five minutes of the movie, they do a close up of his hands on his desk, and in that close up. You see a coffee cup that says, I think it says life's a bitch, but all you can really see is the C C H. And then it says, you can see where it says, then you die. And so I was like, oh, there's some foreshadowing right there. Yeah, if I didn't little... know, know the story, I'd, I would have looked at that. And if I caught it the first time I saw this, I would, oh, he's going to die before this is over. Yeah, L- uh, little Oliver Stone prop placement there. Yeah, it was uh, good though. Then you die. And it's only on yeah. the screen for a second, but yeah. And what's interesting is that um, the the guy that the movie is inspired by, the Alan Berg, he was killed by this group called the Order, who were these neo Nazis. Wow. And in the talk radio film, the guys that send him the Nazi flag, send him the swastika flag. <laughs> Jesus, can you contain yourself while you're drinking or what? You sound like it sounds like a guillotine over there. Like what the hell's going on over there? It's this <laughs> copper cup, man. Yeah. Big giant ice ball. In I'm my trying cup. to. Pr- I'm trying to perform here. Go ahead. <laughs> um, all right. So anyway, so so uh, uh, the guys that send him the Nazi flag, right? 
yeah. you can see from Alec Baldwin's point of view, you see him lift the flag up, and Alec Baldwin's just like, oh, my God, yeah. like, these are these crazies. The paper that he opens that says the threatening message of that he, he's they're going to kill him or whatever, it's from the order. Oh, wow. So they used literally the group, the real-life group that killed this guy in real life wow. was was used in the film. But the guy that kills him at the end, um, there's at least no uh, resolution. They never really find the guy. Um, the hmm. resolution in the end is just sort of it was just some crazy listener. Right? Yeah. And I think that was the point was they didn't want to say it was the order or it was this guy Frank or this guy Chet or this guy Kent. They wanted you to have the idea that it could have been anybody. Right. Right. Yeah. Um. So, yeah. So. I Yeah. Th- so I thoroughly enjoyed talk radio. Yes. Much better than it's on, on the line, line yeah. on the toilet uh, <laughs> counterpart. Flush it. Yeah. <laughs> I sent you a, I sent you a, a GIF or a GIF, however you say it, of uh, from Jurassic Park. That is one big pile of shit. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. I saw so, that. And that, and that's when I, I responded to you. I said, well, I guess I know how you felt about it. Um, all right. You want to get into six degrees or? Yeah. So uh, you didn't really give me much. Uh, you said something about the producers. Yeah. The two female uh, producers from the movie. Let me pull up their names because I don't know them off the top of my head so talk radio's female producer the character of laura it's leslie uh, hope right? leslie hope okay yeah. okay and then um and on the line on the line was, uh, her name was mary yeah, right mary, the character of mary and it's i don't even know how to pronounce her name it's uh Aaliyah Aaliyah soror soror o'neill yes okay i'm assuming it's a married name because i think it's hyphenated yeah. So, um, Aaliyah hasn't done much. <laughs> okay. Aaliyah's only been in a now, handful of movies. Yes, but you can use both these movies if we're using the traditional um, uh, rules for six I have, degrees. I have opted against it. Oh, okay. I, I like the new rule we have where I can't use the movies in question. Okay. That's um, making it harder. It's much harder, especially for somebody like Aaliyah, who's only been in a few films. And this is not Aaliyah the singer, Aaliyah. This is a different actress altogether. But her first film was a movie called Gods of Egypt. Uh, it was a, a little known film, but like Gerard Butler's in it. And um, the guy from Game of Thrones who plays Jamie Lannister, I always forget his name. Um, he's in it. Uh, Chadwick Boseman is in it. And that's that's where I caught the link. So because Leslie Hope from Talk Radio, she's in a film called Dragonfly with Kevin Costner, which is actually a very underrated film. Anyone who hasn't seen it, I actually enjoyed Dragonfly. Mm-hmm. Um, but <clears throat> it's about this guy whose wife dies and then he keeps getting weird nightmares and images of her. Mm-hmm. Like she's trying to contact him and it's set, it's set up like a ghost story almost, but she's trying to tell him something. And when he finally figures it out, what she's been trying to tell him, it's got a great emotional ending and it's, it's, I enjoyed it. I actually liked it very much. So check out Dragonfly if you haven't seen it. But anyway, so Leslie Hope is in Dragonfly with Kevin Costner, who of course, if you've already heard me say Chadwick Boseman, yeah. you know that Kevin Costner and Chadwick Boseman were both in Draft Day, which was an NFL film about the Cleveland Browns. Well, it was it was fictional, mm-hmm. but he is the GM of the Cleveland Browns on NFL Draft Day, and Chadwick Boseman is the kid he drafts. So, um, so that's three, three Dragonfly Draft wow. Day, Gods of Egypt. That's really good um, because Leslie Hope, um, she was in a lot of TV stuff. She wasn't in a whole lot of movies either. Right. But she was also in, she was the woman of interest in 
that really bad, but it's so bad it's great, uh, Men at Work with Charlie Sheen and Amelia Weston. Oh, my God. I haven't seen that in years. She's the woman that Charlie Sheen is watching through the telescope, you know, or from across the road or whatever it is. He's the one that that she's, she's, you know, the one that, uh, the woman of interest, I guess you would say. So, yeah, so she had... She had been in some stuff. She did it in three. Another uh, name shout out. We, uh, my son and I, were talking. We were uh, in um, on the on the line and on the line. The Mel Gibson movie. Uh, one of the co-stars, uh, William Mosley, played the new. I don't want to call him an intern. He was the new hire. Uh, pro- he was like a sound producer or something. Uh, sound engineer uh, William Mosley uh, is what most well known for Narnia. So he was he was Dylan. He was the main. He was the second main character, yeah, right? Second main character, and he yeah. was. But he was best known for uh, his work in Chronicles uh, of Narnia. Chronicles of Narnia. He played yep. Peter. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And and it's funny because if you saw those movies, he looks way different now. He's a little older, a little slimmer. <laughs> yeah. He well, he was a a little kid, wasn't yeah. he? Yeah, Pretty he's, much in, yeah, in Narnia. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah, so those, so check them out. We want you to check both of them out, even though we completely <laughs> spent an hour bagging on On the Line. It's Again, actually fun to watch a bad movie sometimes. <laughs> yeah, it is. We want you to watch it so you can enjoy it and have the same feeling we had when it gets yeah. to its reveal times oh, two. Yeah. We want you to, like, get, pop some popcorn, put it on, and just rant at the movie. Just yeah. yell at the screen. It's, it's not, it's not... <laughs> It's not the room level bad, but it's it's bad. Um, but um, but talk radio. Uh, if you haven't seen that, do check that one out. That's very good. Um, and right in the time, I want to say Oliver Stone had already won Oscars for Platoon at this point, and he. But the time talk radio was being released, he was probably shooting or had already shot and was in post-production of Born on the Fourth of July. Yeah. So this was right in the thick of Oliver Stone's, like, height of Hollywood. Right, right. Um, and again, it was sort of a coming out party for Eric Bogosian because up until then, I think he was just a playwright. Mm. And this this was his big, like, you know, entry into... And he's been in a lot of stuff since then. Yeah. Um, yeah, he hasn't stopped I, I, working. Another side note, uh, Bogosian's character of Barry in talk radio reminded me a lot of Sandler's character in uncut gems. If anyone has seen mm, uncut gems yeah. from, I think it was a year or two years ago, something like 2020, maybe um, you and I saw that with our mother. Yes. No way. She didn't go to that one. She went to another one. Didn't she? No, she was with us. Was she with us? Yeah. yeah. That was we rough... took our mom. <laughs> that, that should tell you something. That should tell you something about the derangement of us. We took our mother to see gems. Uncut Gems. That was a rough movie, man. It was it, it filled with anxiety. Like the whole movie is oh, shot to where you're on we, edge. You know, we should we should cover that one sometime because I, I love the movie, but it was not. It was it was the move like the the soundtrack. Everything it's, it's anxiety. It produces yes. anxiety. Yes. Yeah. You know, it's and, yeah. and 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 the way it's shot, the whole thing, like. 
uh, you know, when the, the girlfriend left the music playing out in his apartment, just the way he's creeping through his apartment. You keep thinking any door he looks in is going to be her dead body, right? That she uh, killed herself yeah. in his apartment to get back at him. You know, it's set up like that. Of course, he doesn't find her. You know, she's not there. Yeah. But it's it's shot that way to and, like everywhere he yeah. looks. You're like, and oh, my God. The music that's being played, everything. It's yeah. like you're all tense and, oh, my God, I needed a yeah. Xanax. But here's the, here's the, here's the fun part with that. And, and somebody might already know where I'm going with this. Not only do they seem like the same person, just uh, Jewish, um, anxiety, tense, uh, uh, fed up with society, society's fed up with them, mm-hmm. it's a battle of wills sort of thing. The guy that plays his brother in that movie is Eric Bogosian. <laughs> I didn't even get that. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. Wow. So he, he plays the guy at the end that he has locked in the little cabinet while he's oh. watching the basketball game. I, I don't know if it's his brother or his brother-in-law. I forgot. But it's, yeah, yeah, that's that's his family member that the whole movie's been trying to get money from him. That's That's, that's Eric yeah. Bogosian. So, oh, wow. Good so a little, yeah. Yeah, like all little. So that would have been a fun six degrees if you just said, yeah, Adam Sandler and Eric yeah. Bogosian. <laughs> oh, that's in the same movie. But anyway, um, but yeah, so uh, both uh, uh, films are worth watching for different reasons. Yeah. Um, and we kept this one at about an hour. Yeah, we, not bad. We, not bad. Yeah, I, not I told bad. my brother I wanted to keep it down. It helps me on the editing, but I think it'll also help us on the listenership. Yeah, but, uh, we, you know, we doing those Star Wars ones. I mean, we could, I could still, we could still be talking about Star Wars like uh, weeks later. So yeah. So if you if if you have a suggestion for a film you'd like us to watch and review, please send us a message. Um, SilverScreenHappyHour at gmail.com or on Instagram we're on Facebook too uh, Facebook or Instagram on Instagram you can send us a voice memo and uh, if we hear your voice memo we might be able to get it on the next podcast so thanks for listening what do you what do you want to say as we log out Jer? write us and tell us the greatest monologue in film history and whether or not Absolutely. it's better than Robert Shaw giving Quince Indianapolis speech in Jaws <laughs> Well, that's how we wrapped it up. You already heard our call to action. I just want to thank you again for listening. Please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening. Until next time, I'm Chris Wiegand. Cheers!